No, they're Orange Luke students. <laughs> yeah, they're usually all from Orange Luke. I'd like to call our regular city council meeting of November 28th, 2023 to order. We'll begin with an invocation given by Kylie Simonton from the Hub Resource Center to be followed by the Pledge of Allegiance led by council member John Dimitri. Please stand. Council, <clears throat> if you bow your heads with me. God, we first thank you for this day that you've given us. Uh, the health we have, the ability to gather together. We praise you and thank you for all that you've already done for our city. I pray that you continue to bless our city and set it apart. I pray you lift the weight that our leaders carry on their shoulders and grace them with peace and strategy to lead well and with ease. I pray you protect our first responders and give them unexpected rest that is needed so they can continue to serve our community. I pray that you bring joy to our communities, families, and loved ones in this holiday season as we celebrate and remember your birth. I pray for this meeting tonight that you will be with us in every topic and lead us to solutions that will bring great, will bring great change. In your name, Jesus, amen. amen. <clears throat> Thank you. If you'll join me by placing your hand over your heart, remembering as we pledge our allegiance to those that serve our country and serve us here and abroad. With that, I pledge allegiance, allegiance to, to the, the flag. flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I'll remind everyone, to, if you haven't already, please silence your cell phones and put them on vibrate. Madam Clerk, could you please take the roll? Mayor Pro Tem Barrios. I'm here. Councilmember Dimitri. Present. Councilmember Tabalaris. Here. Councilmember Gutierrez. <clears throat> Here. Councilmember Gillenhammer. Here. Mayor Slater. Here. A quorum is present with Councilmember Billadeau excused. I just comment that uh, Councilmember Billen, Councilmember Billado had a work conflict tonight. Many of us have uh, day jobs, uh, which are necessary since this position pays us six hundred dollars a month. So sometimes our day jobs conflict with. Uh, with our public service jobs, and that is what happened tonight with Councilmember Bilodeau. With that, we will move to presentations and announcements, and um, we have a presentation by Children's Hospital of Orange County Mental Health, and that will be introduced by Councilmember Gutierrez. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so colleagues and, and all of our wonderful residents, I had the um, benefit of touring uh, Children's Hospital of Orange um, a couple of months ago. And I was, uh, I selected to go uh, see the mental health ward. And I want to tell you how I had heard about it and I had heard it actually from Kelly Borgen, what a fantastic um, ward that is and how much we need to invest in that for our children, especially here in Orange County. And so I definitely wanted to tour it and being a, a school teacher, though, um, wellness of students is very important. And um, I just wanted you to know how impressed I was with them. And I learned about this transition team that they have. And I really thought I needed to hear more. And I asked if they could come out to present to us all about how they work together with uh, the schools, with the families, with themselves to transition the students um, back when they're going back to home. So um, with that, 
I believe it's Gabriella that's coming to do our presentation. And thank you so much for being here. And please come on up. I look forward to hearing it. So um, I'm a Dr. Heather Husey. I'm the chief psychologist at Chalk, and I um, am blessed to work with uh, Gabriela Hernandez, um, who oversees our psychosocial team on our mental health inpatient uh, center. So we wanted to um, talk to you today a little bit about just um, the, the mental health um, issues that are going on for kids right now that I'm sure you guys are well aware of, and the things that Chalk is doing, and then spend a couple of minutes to talk about that school reintegration program, which uh, Gabby developed and is a really innovative uh, program that's going on right here in, or in uh, Orange. So um, I just wanted to start by setting the stage as we think about uh, children. I think a lot of times we um, don't realize how many uh, children suffer from mental health diagnoses, but we know that even prior to the pandemic, one in five children had a diagnosable mental health disorder during their childhood. And just to put that into perspective for Orange County, if you think about, I'm sure you guys have all seen a, a game at Angel Stadium. So if you think about Angel Stadium, you could fill up three Angel Stadiums full of children in Orange County with a diagnosable mental health disorder. Um, so that's about 75,000 or, or so, uh, 150,000 kids. Um, if you look at the kids who are actually receiving treatment for their mental health disorder, got to take away two of those stadiums. Only one in three children is actually receiving treatment. So there's a huge need to continue to develop our mental health services. It means we have to be innovative, right? Um, and we have to think about ways to prevent, to early identify. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and uh, the program that Gabby designed and developed is another one of helping kids to maybe not return uh, to our mental health inpatient center. And we really think about those kids in our mental health inpatient center as being in the ICU, if you will, um, of the mental health world, um, so that those are the kids who really are, are most acute. And then we do a lot of work um, outside of our mental health um, center as well. So let me just uh, say briefly, I think we all are aware that the pandemic, um, we had a children's mental health crisis before the pandemic. The pandemic kind of just threw gasoline on what was maybe a small fire to now be you know, a raging fire, if you will. And just this just shows children um, coming into our emergency department in a psychiatric crisis, which means a child who says, I can't keep myself safe. I'm having thoughts about killing myself. Um, I'm having thoughts about harming other people. So really a crisis. Um, and we see about 2,700 kids a year here in our ED in Orange with a psychiatric crisis. That's a 50% increase since the start of the pandemic. And in the last 10 years, it's an over 500% increase. So we're seeing kids becoming more acute having more problems that they're struggling with, which really says to us, right, we need to, um, as you mentioned, uh, council member, that um, being in the schools, you've seen uh, what's going on with children. That's a, a great place to do some intervention. Um, but also thinking, I'll talk to you a little bit about some other areas we, we're looking at as well. So. Um, as I said, the pandemic really threw uh, gas on the fire. Um, this is Chalk actually has a mental health continuum of care that we've developed looking at how do we prevent mental health problems, early intervention, how do we link kids to care, um, provide services, provide intensive services, and then our inpatient level of care, which uh, Gabby's going to talk about and which you toured. Um, and uh, anything that's uh, not in that uh, sort of aqua blue um, are services that we've stood up since 2016. So in that, as we saw kids 
increasing in number. Um, and then, of course, during the pandemic, even more. These are all services that we've created to develop that continuum of care so that we can uh, really serve kids at every step in their journey and try and always downshift kids, right, that, um, you know, well, we love our unit and we think it's wonderful. We would love to one day not have a need for it, right? That's, that's always our ultimate goal. Um, and so I'll just mention uh, quickly a couple of things that, that we do. One is um, we've embedded um, mental health providers in primary care clinics. Because think about in today's life, right, it's so busy uh, for parents. And you think you go in and you're like, gosh, my child's struggling. And if someone says to you, like, hey, here's a referral. Go, go over here, make another appointment, make a couple of calls, get your kid in therapy. For a lot of parents, that's just too much, right? Um, but what happens if we have mental health providers in primary care, then when a child or a family comes in and the, we do a screening and we see, are you depressed, are you anxious, are there other things going on, the, uh, your pediatrician could say, oh, here's my friend and my colleague. I'm going to bring them in to talk with you, and we can address that problem early. <clears throat> Sometimes that means in a couple of sessions we can actually fix the problem, and you don't have to move on to higher levels of care. Um, so that's one of the things we're doing. Um, we're trying to help pediatricians um, handle mental health problems. Um, we've created um, a number of um, outpatient services and things to try and meet children's needs. Chalk is the only um, children's hospital that that um, or the the only has the providers who do. Um, uh, child neuropsychological evaluations, um, which help look at how children's brains are working. Uh, we're the only um, entity in Orange County that takes Medi-Cal uh, to do uh, neuropsych um, evaluations, and we do that in a number of other areas as well. Um, we're also very, uh, uh, we feel like it's super important to look at outcomes. So this is just saying in our intensive outpatient program, so these are kids who um, have either just been discharged from our inpatient unit or who um, are having persistent thoughts about killing themselves um, or harming someone else or doing self-harm behaviors like cutting. Uh, they come, it's very intensive, they come for eight weeks, four days a week, uh, three hours a day. Um, and we have skills uh, training for parents. They come twice a week. Uh, we have individual sessions and a lot of group sessions. And this um, shows that both the way the child thinks about themselves and the way the parent thinks about their child, that there's significant reductions in their level of distress going through the program, almost to um, pre-baseline uh, levels. Um, so um, and I'll, I, I know sometimes you look at data and you're like, yeah, but what does that mean? Um, I'll just give you a quote from one of our parents um, who about four weeks into the program uh, took aside one of our uh, clinicians and said, I thought I'd lost my daughter and that I would never see her again. And four weeks into this program, I'm seeing my daughter again. And I feel like there's hope. Um, and I think that's the thing that keeps us going is bringing those kids back and helping them you know, reach their full potential. So I'll let's uh, turn this over now to uh, Gabby, who can talk a little bit about our inpatient units. Hello, everyone, and thank you for having us. And it was wonderful having you there, Anna. And I, we invite any of you to come tour the unit. Uh, we're really working on uh, destigmatizing mental health because if we think about it, we've been in a point in our lives where things got really tough, whether that was within our family, within our communities, or just out in society, and we needed support. Our unit really focuses on acute uh, patients that are um, dealing with acute, acute uh, symptoms. So our unit provides services for children 3 to 17. 
Um, and they would be on this continuum, they would be on the more severe side. And there's 18, we have 18 private rooms. We're the only unit uh, in Orange County that has private rooms, so that allows for parents to stay over and spend the night. We highly encourage parents to participate uh, in treatment and to be part of the treatment that they're, that they're receiving on the unit. Um, our average length of stay is five to seven days, and so there's a lot that's happening within those uh, five days usually. Uh, you know, we, we do a full evaluation, we're providing individual digital ther uh, therapy, we're providing family therapy, and then coordinating with any providers that they have outside of the hospital, out in the community, and then uh, contacting the school districts that we work with. And our goal is to reach a level of, st a level of stabilization to either return them back home or connect them to a lower level of care. So when we first opened, we realized that there was a, a gap in communication with uh, the school districts. We opened back in 2018, um, and we noticed that students were returning back and nobody was really aware of the mental health crisis or what supports they needed. Um, and so we started to contact the districts here in Orange County to one, explain what inpatient care is, to, and then to, um, for them to know what to expect when they're on our unit and when they transition out of the unit. Also for them to understand the different levels of care. So we reached out to all the school districts uh, within Orange County and were able to establish a partnership um, with them. And what we see is that when patients are discharged from our unit, I'm sorry, from, from inpatient care, they actually have an increase in suicidal behaviors and <clears throat> symptoms. So that partnership is really, really important to create that safety net. Um, so now we provide um, the, the school reintegration program to all the districts. We're also working with districts in the surrounding counties. So we're working with LA County, Riverside County, when we have their students coming in. Um, and we also work, provide support at different levels. Um, so if you can see, there's universal where all the patients get, um, we provide communication with all, for all the patients that are with us. Supplemental, we consult with the schools when necessary. Um, and then intensive, so we're holding treatment coordination meetings with the district and then providing uh, support at the reentry meetings uh, when they're returning back to school. And we've started with our inpatient unit, and since then we've expanded to all of our mental health acute services, service lines within CHOC. Um, so we created a model that hasn't really been seen um, here in California, and especially in Southern California, where we can partner and really work closely with all the different districts um, and making sure that they are connected, that they can then do the warm handoff and they become their support system and they don't need us again. Like Dr. Husey was saying, um, we want to reduce rehospitalization as much as possible and for them to connect to their community and not need us. Thank you so much for your time and attention. Mm -hmm. Thank you very, very much. Mayor Pro Tem has a question. I have a question and a comment because we have a rare opportunity with so many students in the room tonight. So, um, and I, I know Ms. Jensen knows that my family has gone through this journey for the last year and a half, probably two years altogether. It has been emotionally devastating, hard, difficult, and the school aspect is so important. I was absolutely shocked that when we 
the third time we went through a crisis that the school's response was, oh, and here's a letter from the DA for truancy. And I'm just like, that, how, how, how is that even possible? Like that that's what you're giving to families. And for the students who are here, what I would wanna say to you is, I know how tough your lives are. I know what you've been through the last couple of years. It has not been easy for you and what you go through. People may not understand, but I bet your friends do. And for the friends, I can tell you from personal experience, if a friend hadn't spoken up, we wouldn't have a member of our family. I can't even express how grateful I am that you've made this a priority at Chalk. So thank you. And for all you students, if you see something, if you have any inkling that someone's in trouble, please say something. You'll never, ever regret it. What you'll regret is missing that person the next day. So thank you. Thank you. And Mayor, can I just say uh, <clears throat> thank you. The reason why I wanted you here is as, as a city, we need to hear the services that are being offered in our city and for our residents. And more importantly, how we can help <clears throat> Chalk grow and, and fund this program. Because it's very important as, as a resident, as a teacher, as a mother, and I, I couldn't tell you how, how touched I was and how important and valuable your program is to our residents and our children, which are gonna be our future leaders. And so I appreciate you and I appreciate what you've done. And Gabby, thank you for that reintegration piece because that is extremely vital. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> appreciate it. Thank you, Councilmember Gutierrez, for uh, inviting them. Thank you, Mayor Pro Tem, for your um, very thoughtful, meaningful comments. Um, a quick announcement on uh, November, oh, join us for our 29th annual tree lighting ceremony and candlelight choir procession beyond this Sunday, December 3rd, from 3.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. in the Old Town Orange Plaza. This family-friendly event includes free kids' activities, a photo opportunity with Santa, food for purchase, and traditional carols led by uh, Mr. Michael Short, who uh, conducts the choir. For event information, visit our city website at cityoforange.org or call 714-744-7278. This is definitely one of the quintessential um, programs that the city does and a lot of people turn out for it. It's, it's a really a wonderful event. And I also want to uh, welcome all the OLU students here tonight. Believe it or not, I graduated from OLU <laughs> in 1977. <Whoa>. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Still around. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm still above ground. <laughs> so if you want me to sign your form, you'll have, might have to wait uh, more than an hour, but uh, really, I wouldn't do it if I were you. <clears throat> It's up to you. Okay, uh, City Attorney, do we have anything to report out of closed session? Nothing tonight, Mayor. Thank you. Okay. At this time, uh, is for public comments. Members of the public may address the council on matters not listed on the agenda within the subject matter jurisdiction of the City Council. 
provided that no action may be taken on off agenda items unless authorized by law. Public comments are limited to three minutes per speaker. I see we have four. So the first one will be Tim Smith, followed by Carol Walters. Good evening, Honorable Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, uh, Council members and staff. Uh, I'd like to share an experience I had for a celebration recently at the Orange Police Department. And this was on November 10th, and the celebration was for Marine Corps birthday, they're 248, I think. And at the same time, there was a honoring our veterans for Veterans Day on the 11th. As I, as I drove into the event in the parking lot, my first encounter was with so many civilians that were helping put this event on because most of them are volunteers at the police department and they're just guys like me. Then I encounter a whole bunch of guys in vests in Vietnam and all these trademarks of veterans and their individual identities at that time, I believe. Um, and then I saw our, our police force in integrating with all these different people and making them feel at home at, at their PD. Mayor, this is a real example for me to see of how community is coming together in all aspects, civilian, first responders, veterans, and we even had the fire department show up for a couple minutes, I think. Um, but they were there, bottom line. Some of my takeaways from the veterans were there was so many honors. Um, I got to see how the birthday cake is is handed out for each birthday. I, I had to, got to see the oldest and the youngest Marine present, and they were integrated into the ceremony. But some of the conversations I heard while I was sitting eating my cake uh, really intrigued me. A gentleman was talking about his back pain and, oh, it hurts so much. And then at the same time, I'm hearing him talk about an A-4 jet fighter and how he was so exhilarating, flying off the deck of a carrier in an A-4. And there were so many of these guys there, one in particular that I just asked questions to, and his, his, his code name was, was Tin Man. So Tin Man had a, a wedding ring on, and all I asked him was, how long have you been married? And he just opened up, and 45 years, and I got two kids and two grandkids. So it's an honor to be part of a community where we have so many heroes around us all the time. But to have our community honor those people is even more of a, uh, of a privilege to live in Orange. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> Carol Walters to be followed by Katherine Jenkins. Good evening. I'd like to thank the Orange Police over the holiday weekend. I saw a lot on Tustin that I always talk about. Tustin is a dangerous street. People go through red light all the time, and the policeman was out there, and you have to give them credit to be out there on a holiday with drunken drivers and everything, <clears throat> and I think we got the best. And the other people been asked me about the meter, parking meter. That's going to be interesting, but a long time ago, the city of Orange messed up by allowing business come in and no parking. First of all, you should put parking in, make sure they have parking before you put a big business in. Because now we are in a place that no one has parking in Orange down here. 
you have to hunt for it. And I think you need to redo it. You have that forest station. We could have another public parking. Why can't we put a, more parking in the back of the city hall, unless it's not allowed in Old Town? So it's time you think before you begin more stuff. Put parking first and then the business. Okay. All right, Carol. I'm going to watch you. Okay, I, I know you are. <clears throat> All right, Catherine Jenkins to be followed by John Lee. I came here tonight to share tragedy. Um, I am the property manager at Shattuck Place in Orange. Thanksgiving night, our street has become a raceway. Let me first state that. From Collins to Mayfair, people travel 50 to 60 miles an hour. I've almost gotten hit. I have to take eight or nine steps from to cross before I can even see what's down either side of the road. Thanksgiving night, my landlord's 21-year tenant and his friend were mowed down at 40 to 50 miles an hour. Our tenant was hit head-on and smashed between two trucks. His friend, who was in the truck, sitting in the truck, the impact was so great, he stumbled out of the truck and died in the roadway. Our tenant was, of course, killed on impact and trapped under the truck. I'm giving the details of the horrificness of this because I need to stop the speeding there. We all need to stop the speeding there. I was called home as a property manager, was called home to a tragedy. I, the person that I see, I live directly across from my neighbor. I see that man come and go every day. We wear the same work boots. He walks down the walkway. We say, have a great day, stay safe in our own neighborhood, in our home. He was killed by a truck driver going 40 plus. I have no idea now. It's been stated all kinds of miles per hour. He was mowed down in front of his home of 21 years, where his child had been born, and he brought his other child at three years old there. His wife and his 21 20-year-old daughter was the first one on the scene. His brother-in-law was the third one on the scene, running out to save his sister from her cries. Again, I tell you the horrificness, and I'm, there's a lot of young people present here tonight. Please look up the story. Don't drink and drive. I'm not, I, I'm not alone in this. There's many people that happened to this weekend. <clears throat> and please remember my face, because I will be back until we get some control over that street, speed bumps, whatever it takes. We have 
and I know my time's up, but I'm sorry. Okay. We have people turn west out of the 7-Eleven, come down Shattuck Place and race to Collins because you can't get out of the 7-Eleven going east to get to Tustin because of the stoplight. This happens every morning, every evening, and all day. I beg of you, I don't know what the next step, but this is the first part of my journey. I can't save my neighbor. I cannot save my neighbor, but I could try to save somebody else. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Catherine. Um, the council is very aware of uh, what the tragedy that happened is extremely unfortunate, and our, our hearts uh, go out to the, the families. And um, also, everyone should know that the, <clears throat> the driver was uh, arrested, so uh, that he was caught. So thank you for coming, Catherine. We'll see what we can do about it. Thank you. And I just wanted to add, which I forgot to say, the Orange Police Department was so kind and so thoughtful and took such pains to get to, to everything. And I appreciate them so much. And I am honored that, to live here and have that for our folks. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. OK, John Lee. Thank you for letting me speak a little today. I'm here with Catherine, uh, and uh, it's in regard to the same matter. Jose Lopez was a friend of mine. Pardon me. Give me a moment. Take your time. <clears throat> now it's got it. I'm okay. Um, speed bumps. I would like to see a pair of cul-de-sacs, northbound, southbound. You, it's a, there are T's on either end of that block. It doesn't go through, but people whip through there fast all the time. Uh, cul-de-sacs, I think, are probably uh, unlikely. There's commercial property in the area. They got to get their trucks in and out. They're not going to like that idea. I'll run it by them if I can find them. Uh, speed bumps are not terribly simple either. North and south, one or two in the middle, will slow them down to 25. They go whipping through about 50 all the time. We're not going to stop the drunks, but we can slow down the citizens. Uh, uh, there are uh, departments, and you guys are busy, and we're going to pursue this uh, in whatever way we can. Um, I'm not much of a public speaker. Uh, there are one or two other matters. We'll get to those. Thanks for your time. John, thank you for coming. really appreciate it. Sorry for your loss. <clears throat> okay, um, we're going to move uh, on to the consent calendar. 
Uh, we've been asked to remove item 3.10 uh, for, great. Uh, any of my colleagues wish to uh, remove any others? I see Mr. Gillenhammer. Mayor, I have to register an abstention for residency on 3.6. Okay. Anyone else? Uh, and we have a motion to approve the consent calendar, the balance with the exception of 3.10. Councilmember John Dimitru, seconded by Councilmember Ana Gutierrez. Uh, we'll also note the abstention <clears throat> on 3.6. Uh, please vote. <clears throat> that was approved unanimously. Okay, 4.1, uh, reports from Mayor Slater. Leasing of former fire headquarters property. <clears throat> so as you all know, we have a vacant fire station that uh, has been sitting there for some time and, and maybe yet uh, for a little while until we make a final decision on what we'd like to do there. <clears throat> it could be a few months, it could be six months, it could be a year. And we all know that vacant properties are not good and uh, can be a source of problems and so forth. Uh, by the way, is Pastor Fessler here? There he is. Good. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I've been approached by a number of people that would love to use the fire station on a temporary basis. <clears throat> One of them is uh, Pastor Fessler, and he is with... Uh, Refuge Orange County Church. And the other one that has uh, approached me, and you've heard from them already, is uh, that is Mark Voss and Heather Moore from the Regimes uh, Museum. So I believe you're familiar with the Regimes Museum. Uh, Mark and Heather are here um, to answer any questions if you um, have them still. Um, but our staff member, Aaron Schultz, recommended quite wisely that um, Heather and Mark meet with uh, Rabbi Guerreri, who was here last week, and to make sure that he was uh, on board with what they wanted to do. Uh, he wholeheartedly endorses what they want to do in about 1,000 square feet over there um, and sent in a uh, memo that you recently received as well as they have met with um, Pastor <clears throat> Bill Johnson from the United Methodist Church, which backs immediately up, up to the fire station. And I think that uh, by being here tonight that he is uh, suggesting he is very supportive as well. So again, he is here. Um, the regime's uh, folks are here. And as well as, uh, if I'd like to, um, Pastor Festa, if you could come forward and tell us a little bit about your church and what your temporary need is and how, how we possibly could help you out. <clears throat> yeah, thank you, Mr. Mayor. And uh, good evening, members of the council, city manager, city staff. It's an honor to be with you tonight. An idea uh, came to my mind a number of months ago, knowing that the building was vacant there at the old fire station. Um, and our church is in a bit of a predicament, but we started here in the city of Orange a little over nine years ago. And ever since we began in this city, we have not just wanted to be a church in the city, we want to be a church for the city. As you know, Orange is a pretty impeccable place. It's beautiful. It has a wonderful fabric of churches 
and communities that serve in the city of Orange. And that is our desire and our heart. We don't want to just take up space. We would rather use our time to serve this city as, as much as we can. It's the reason why even last year I went through the background check process to become a member of the police department chaplain staff. And so it's been an honor over this past year to get to know our men and women who are serving in that role and have an opportunity to serve them in return as a pastor and as a chaplain. It's also a reason why on our staff as a church, two of our pastors split their time between serving at the church but also serving the rest of their week at the Hub Resource Center. And I love that Kylie was here earlier, gave the invocation, because the integration between the churches in our city as well as a, par a paired relationship with the city itself can do good for the city of Orange. And so we are in a, in a pickle, if you will, because uh, we currently meet at the old church building on the corner of Glacelle and Palmyra. We've been renting that space for about four years. And the owners of the, of the building have come to us recently and said they would like us to move on. They've got other plans for the building that don't include us. And so December 31st, 2023, we need to move out of our space. And so on our hunt, we are just continuing to look for any possible place that we can have for a church location. And knowing the temporary nature of that building until there's a final uh, decision for what's to come, I approached the city manager, city manager put me in contact with the mayor, and that is why we are here tonight even to discuss. But I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak on this matter and can answer questions. But again, we want to be a church for the city. We would love to see the space be used in, in, in uh, solidarity with the city so that it's not just used for church events, but can also be a city purposeful place. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. If you could stand by in case there's any yeah. questions. <clears throat> Or you may be seated. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Unless there are. Um, so the, the thought I wanted to bring to the council for consideration is um, to let the pastor use the predominant space at the fire station, the bays, and the, and the portion of primarily the administrative offices north of the bays, and then uh, have the regime's museum. There's a nice room on the south side, about a thousand square feet, that uh, would be perfect for them. They could have access off of Almond and they wouldn't um, conflict with each other. But the thought would be they'd be there on a month-to-month -month basis until the council came up with um, our plans of how we wanted to move forward with the property, uh, whether it be a surface parking lot, as was proposed earlier. <clears throat> and um, But all I would suggest is that uh, the council authorize staff to work with these two groups to find out if there's a way that we could temporarily make them fit in this space um, and uh, that there would be no cost to the city uh, should something, if any improvements are made or anything breaks down that they would be responsible for repairing it. So. So those are my thoughts and I'd certainly be interested in what the rest of the council thought. And I see there's a question from Mayor Pro Tim Barrios. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I, I will just be really honest. This makes me really nervous. And the first question I have is not for the, and it's, it has nothing to do with the uses that you propose. I just want to make that clear. And I'm really grateful that you're members of our, our community and you want to offer additional services. Your church, that was my preschool. 
you know, that I started sucking my thumb in that classroom. So it's like I that is I know that place inside and out. And I'm so sorry that the owners are, are doing that to you. And and I know what you're trying to accomplish in terms of public education. I think those things are so noble and so important. My first question would be to the fire chief, because if I recall on your way out the door, that building was falling apart like it was like a ghost ship on your way out that final week, I think at least two or three major systems broke um, that I'm just wondering if it's even fit for for use, um, if we, what the liability might be. I, if I'm not mistaken, isn't there asbestos in, oh, you, okay, you got, I, I recall there was asbestos, asbestos issues, there were seismic um, issues, and then, you know, not to mention some of the systems that were broken inside. So can you speak to that a little bit? Because I'm worried about safety. Absolutely. Uh, again, tonight, uh, for the mayor to give us some direction and counsel, and you're absolutely right. It's a decommissioned city building. Um, there are I, I, a lot of the problems that, that you mentioned uh, were concerns, and that was the uh, driving force for obviously a new fire headquarters. Um, before we would move, be able to move forward with anything, we'd have to outline, identify those issues, bring them back to council because there are, um, you know, uh, issues with seismic. Um, we've got um, some trip and fall hazards. We've got weather issues should the, the uh, basement is prone to flooding. Um, we've got the HVAC system, which is probably um, duct taped and uh, wire bailed uh, together. So we'd have to identify these issues, um, and it would be an exploratory thing. Bring back to the council. Um, again, I, I also, let me back up for one second. I, I want to try and be as efficient with staff time also, because what I don't want to do is, is we have a lot of um, things going on with council direction, council-driven um, requests, and what I want to try to manage is, is how much time we're putting into our return on investment for staff time. Mm -hmm. um, I think we could, we could realistically do a, a quick overview with the, uh, the city attorney's office and, and uh, public works kind of driven out of my office um, and probably be able to get you something. Uh, I haven't decided who's the who's the, who's the who's the lucky person yeah. to uh, to get it, but um, look at it and probably get you something. Maybe would have to be within a few weeks, probably by next council. Which obviously, given your situation, that's a tight that's a, a tight fit. Um, two other questions. And one is just procedural. I thought we had already, as a council, approved the demolition of the building, so this would just stave that off. Or because I thought we had already approved, like who was going to do it, and we had already gone out for bids on that. But no, I'm, Chris is shaking his head, so I'm saying no. Correct. Uh, and so we had just approved the demolition, but we had not taken those extra steps. Correct. Yet. We do have some funding set aside for it, and we have not mm -hmm. moved forward uh, on on uh, the demolition yet. Um, so. My other question would be, if you're looking at things, and especially um, because of timing, that is also a large piece of property off to one side that's open. Um, maybe what we could explore, if the church was open to it in particular, is using it with tent space. Um, because that would keep them from being in a building that could fall down around them. But I mean, I would that would lend itself to the temporary use. So it might be something that could be explored. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just an idea. Thanks. What is it? What? A tent. tent. Oh, tent. a tent up in the side parking lot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, Councilmember Tavares. 
Thank you. Sensitive question, would this be a rental? Would they be renting this from the city? On a so there would like be an, on a month, month basis. I do have some questions for the pastor. Is that appropriate? Yes. Um, if you might. Um, I want I want to say families, but my I, I hear my priest in the back of my head. No, Kathy, it's not family, it's souls. So how many souls do you serve? <laughs> There you go. That's a good distinction. We say we pastor a community right around 150 people. We see on average on a weekly basis close to 100. About 100 people yeah. come to church. And then um, do you use it just on Sundays or is it like you have Saturday Bible study and all this other stuff? Yeah, there's other things throughout the week. We also share the space there at Glacelle and Palmyra currently with the Spanish congregation as well. And so they would even be interested in perhaps using it so that it doesn't just get used one time, but also making sure that the building could be available. But I would imagine you and perhaps some other staff would ha would be in need of office space as well. Potentially, correct. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Gillenhammer. Pastor, if you can come back. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy started uh, some of the questions I had uh, in terms of size of congregation. Um, souls. Souls. <laughs> How many souls in your congregation? Um, you know, we're going to determine kind of the ultimate use and. Uh, of this location, but if you look at this building specifically, would that building, could you see that being a permanent place for your, for your congregation, the size be, of it, or is it bridging? Uh, I want to be careful that I don't allow my dreams to go too far with the use of the space, because Perfect obviously I understand that it, it definitely could, because right. I think we are a, a nine-year-old church, which is young comparatively to some other wonderful churches in our city. Okay. So we're drafting off their wisdom, but we're energetic and excited to continue to serve. So a building like that could definitely be used. Okay. Not, not saying we have a, a, a full future plan for the building sure. yet, but just hypothetically speaking, um, understanding that there's issues with the building um, and <coughs> potentially uh, commitment to a certain length of time, would you be willing and open to um, some sort of triple net lease, take care of all issues within the building? Um, and sign away any liability up Definitely. to that point. Yeah. All right. And then um, my other question um, is length of time that, and I apologize for the organization name, that you would want to be in the building. Uh, length of time for us? Yes. Sorry. Um, ideally a year, but uh, we would like to go on. OK. Outstanding. I support a church going in there. That's it. Thank you. Councilmember Dimitru. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, my question, and one of my questions I think was just answered was, uh, I think in order for us to move forward on this, it would have to be a release of liability from all parties, uh, indemnifying the city from any type of injury, damage, uh, you know, all the legal stuff that the guy at the end of the table here can write. Um, so I think that's a priority, that end of the table, not you. Um, also, that uh, any uh, malfunctioning of air conditioners, heating, we're not going to go fix it and, or put new ones in or anything because that, that is a building that we're knocking down. I don't want to start investing a lot of money into, uh, into a building that we plan to demolish. It doesn't make sense. Um, I love the idea of, a, of having, um, I'm going to be very blunt. I've got to watch how I say it. I love the idea of having the church in there. I have a lot of concerns, and it's, it's not personal, sir, with the regime museum. Having lost family members in World War II and following World War II from the Nazis and from the communists, I have big problems 
with anything that promotes uh, any type of uh, praise to those regimes. I 100% believe in educating and having the opportunity to educate so it isn't repeated because we have seen it time and time again that with the lack of history and the lack of teaching that that becomes an issue again. But I'll be damned sitting here tonight if there is one thing in this museum that promotes the execution and the annihilation of people based on color or religion or thought or belief or handicap or what have you, I will shut you down so fast it'll make your head spin. So I'm putting you on, on notice that I'm gonna vote for it tonight to, or allow it, I'm gonna be in favor to, to have the staff work. If I see something in there that even inkles towards promotion of that as a favorable um, thing, it will be hell on fire coming down on you. And I just want to be that very clear and you understand that. There are too many people in this world that have lost their lives from regimes, especially associated around World War II or in Laos or in uh, these, uh, these different barbarians that have come through history. Uh, and I want to be absolutely crystal clear that it cannot promote those, uh, those political beliefs or ideology of extermination. Thank you. Okay. Would you like them to give a one-minute uh, presentation on? Okay. So again, uh, thank you for your uh, Mayor Pro Tem. And just had, um, a, I guess, a legal question: um, Is there any jeopardy, or uh, is it problematic at all that we would just be assigning this without kind of opening it up to all comers? In the same way we would do an RFP or something. That Good question. I, I, I don't wanna... think I don't think we need to, you don't need to RFP it. I think it would be fine to to come back to the council. I think it's not on the agenda for tonight, but I think we can give the city manager some direction as to kind of where the council's leaning, and we can come back at the next meeting with if, if that's the council's direction with um, with a lease or license agreement, whatever it may be. So the. The request would be to staff of just, um, and that's the second thing I want to clarify, that the request is just to ask staff to explore, A, the viability of the building for occupancy, because um, I think that that's my main concern, and what a lease option might look like. Correct. We'd, we'd come back, a uh, feasibility looking at uh, condition of the building, liability, um, potential li uh, uh, license and agreement, what that would look like. Um, and then uh, bring it to the council for, um, you know, obviously a direction. The feasibility study, um, depending on how that goes, will pr more than likely be the determining factor on, on that. Um, and, you know, you have your specific concerns. I have district concerns, which is we made it really clear to the district when at first the parking idea came through and people lost their minds that they did not have any input. This is yet another thing that we're bringing forward that they don't have any input about what's going on in their neighborhood. So I would want to be crystal clear, this is hyper temporary. You know, things like this, I see it over and over and over again. We say yes, and it never goes away. We never fix it. It never, it just never, 
because we've always done it that way. So I really would want that to be clear, both for those who would be using it and for us, because our, the district deserves the opportunity to talk about what's going to happen in that particular block. So I just want to make my feelings clear on that. Would you like to kind of what you said basically is, is your motion? I would like to I would like to make a motion um, that a direct staff to look at the feasibility of occupancy of this building explores lease opportunities for a short term usage of the fire department month to month short term yeah. <laughs> so, should, yeah not, should. To not to exceed one year to the two en entities that are here tonight um, I I think that that's, is, do I need to say that? So Mayor Pro Tem, we probably don't need to, I don't think voting's a, a it's not, because it's not on the agenda. It's just a direction just, isn't direction a vote, to, right. Direction so, vote. As long as everyone agrees to that direction. Okay. Um, Anything else? No. What? Sounds good. Um, yeah, just on that point, I know I'm later. Um, I agree with that completely. Um, this, this deserves a, additional communication, especially with members of the community. I would be interested to, based off of what uh, Mayor Pro Tem stated around an, an analysis or evaluation of the building, um, on a temporary perspective, makes total sense. Um, since we're already doing that, it w I would love to understand if there is a more permanent uh, perspective as well. So if the analysis changes with how the lease is written or um, any potential applicants taking ownership of the gaps within the building, just so that information is a part of us looking at this. I, I'm Mayor. Not, go ahead. Oh. I would ask, given the time sensitivity on this, if, if we can just focus initially on, let's look at the feasibility, um, if we can do this, if and then report back to council on the feasibility and then the potential license agreement. The other component will, I, I think basically we could work that out later if council's okay with that. I just, um, this is a busy time of year and we're, we're gonna have to just shoehorn this into our into getting it done. Okay, thank you. Councilmember Gutierrez. Yes, a lot of the questions that I had were answered, but that was my big concern, the feasibility, the leasing terms, um, and that it would be both entities. Um, but I'm still going back to what Mayor Pro Tem said initially was, I know that we discussed this. I know that we had voted on that it would be demolished. And I would like to hear a report as to why we have not moved that way. Why have we not gone in that road map? So that's what I'd like the staff to come back and report. Like, I know that we have money set aside for it. So not that I don't want these entities to be using it, but I know that this was something that we discussed uh, maybe about a year or so ago, maybe a year and a half or something. Yeah. Um, so a report back as to why we have not moved on actually doing the demolition Excellent. would be great. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for your input. I think it's all very valuable. Again, I see this as something very temporary uh, until any decision is made on what the next step is for the use of this property. So, um, Thank you for that, and uh, we'll move on from that to Mr. report. Mr. Mayor, do you want to take a break since now is the time when all the kids want to leave? <laughs> and they want to get that signed. They may want to wait. 
I don't think they do. Yeah, they're, they're a little chill. Okay, I'm going to take a wild guess. You all want to go home. Yeah, so. If you'd like to go, that's fine. Great <laughs> <laughs> class, big time. business that unfortunately is across the street from my district, but it's in District 1. Yay! Um, so it's a great district. Um, I just want you to know that I have been smelling this bread for, for, since 2018. Every morning as I run by with my boot camp, I can smell in the air pan dulce being baked. And it never stopped, never stopped, never stopped. And finally, um, about Two months ago, we took my kids to get some food, and the food was fantastic. But when it came to the Day of the Dead, I needed some bread. And every store was sold out, the Reina, the Carreta, everything. So we went to El Molino de Oro, and let me tell you that that bread was the, hands down the best Day of the Dead bread that I've ever had. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to give them a plug. They um, started down in South County. That's where they were, they're from. The, and it's the Castro family down from San Juan Capistrano. And so this is their Day of the Bread. And it was pink on the inside, super delicious, super moist. It's like the best. So I didn't try any of the other bread because I was focusing on the Day of the Dead bread. But I really want to highlight them because I have been smelling their aromas, have never stopped by, and I was so pleasantly surprised when I did. And so I wanted to welcome the Castro family to Orange. They've been here since 2018. Um, I hope they continue their food. Um, what my children told me were, was fantastic. They have an array. It's a counter service, um, an array of food there. You're watching them ladle your food and whatnot. So... Um, I, I welcome people to come and visit El Molino, El, bon, El Molino de Oro, I can't even say the words, um, to try out their fantastic food and particularly their bread because I was very impressed. So thank you. All right. Thank you so much. I was not aware of that business. Yes. Okay. Uh, any other reports from council members? Okay. Then we have a uh, community needs assessment survey from oh, yeah. Mayor Pro Tim Barrios. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, basically, what I wanted to do is just share really quickly, and this is all in front of you as well. Um, one of the arguments that, that um, I, or questions that I keep hearing in terms of the survey that we already approved um, was that it's simply to look at the ballot initiatives that we're um, assessing right now. But I think it's really important um, to share with you that these assessments do so much more than that, and they're really this is historic for our city. I don't believe in our history that we've ever done anything like this so that we get really valid data from our residents and ask them, what do you want? What should we be prioritizing? What's important to you? So, um, so I brought you a sample of, um, this is from the city of Cyprus. They've been doing community needs assessment for the last five years. Um, my company, just Driyama Up and Up, actually puts this, to, this visual um, infographic together to share with the community. And what's really important is the right-hand side of the, of the document. Um, of course, if once we do our survey, if we wanted to put out something like this, we may not focus on 
who took the survey, that may not be important. But the information and the data you get back asking citizens, what are the biggest priorities in the city? What are the needs? Are you satisfied? Are we going in the right direction? Do we need to um, change things up and around? Um, I think for all of us as policymakers, a lot of times we sit here and you know we talk to individuals out in the community, but to ask the whole community and then prioritize, especially ahead of our strategic planning, um, this, I mean, it's gonna be a one-two punch of things one that we've never done and two data we've never had and be able to be really effective on behalf of our residents. So I just wanted to share that and I know that FM3 shared some additional options in terms of what we look at. So it's the survey is historic and highly valuable and I just wanted to share that with everybody. Great, thank you, appreciate it. All right, um, again, no other council members have any reports? Okay, seeing none, we'll move to item six. Do any council members have any AB 123 reports? Okay, seeing none. Move on to administrative reports. 7.1, professional services agreement with Cosmont and Associates Incorporated for Economic Development Services. Would any of my um, colleagues like a staff report on this? Seeing none, uh, we have a motion to approve by Council Member Ana Gutierrez and a second from Mayor Pro Tim Barrios. Any other questions or discussion? Seeing none, please vote. To approve unanimously, congratulations, Aaron. 7.2 Agreement with Kelly Associates Management Group LLC to facilitate and update the city's strategic plan. And uh, I would like uh, a staff report on this, as well as my, some of my colleagues might as well, as long as it's brief. Thank you, Mayor, members of the City Council. For your consideration is agreement with Kelly Associates Management Group to help the city update its strategic plan. As a brief background, the city's current strategic plan was created in 2008, with subsequent revisions made in 2018. Strategic plans are intended to be living documents that help define a shared vision of where an agency wants to be and how to get there and it often covers a range of three to five years. Given the time that has passed without comprehensive updates to the current plan, the City Council had expressed interest in revising the plan to better reflect the Orange community's priorities. When agencies undertake all-inclusive updates to their respective strategic plans, they'll often work with objective third-party consultants to help facilitate meetings and public workshops so the agency can collectively decide what it wants to achieve and how to get there. Staff contacted three firms that have worked with local agencies to facilitate their strategic plan updates or annual goal setting workshops. After reviewing the proposals, staff determined that Kelly Associates Management Group meets the city's needs while providing strategic planning services at the greatest value to the city. And that's going to include a strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats analysis. This is often referred to as a SWOT analysis with each council member one-on-one -on -one meetings with each council member to discuss those individual responses. They'll lead and facilitate two, city, uh, two study sessions to establish goals and objectives over the next five years. And finally, assist staff in completing and presenting the final document for the city council's approval. Should the council approve the agreement tonight, staff will work with Kelly Associates Management Group right away so we can begin the SWOT analysis and schedule two public study sessions early in the new year. The goal is to have this strategic plan adopted in tandem with our upcoming budget. 
That concludes my presentation. I'd be happy to answer any questions that the council may have. I'd also like to note that Bill and Chris Kelly of Kelly Associates Management Group are here as well, uh, should you have any questions for them. Great, thank you for that uh, brief report. Uh, council Member Gutierrez. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so as I was reading this, my only um, question or concern I had was when I was looking at the work plan and the deliverables, and I do realize it's going to be a SWAT exercise with the council members, then meeting with each council member, then um, the, those comments will go to the city manager, and then there will be two study sessions um, to go over what council members reported out and to establish our goals and whatnot. The only component that I felt was perhaps missing was exactly what council member, um, what Mayor Pro Tem just presented to us. The, like, what does the public have to say? So I know in, during the study session, they'll hear out from us and they can make comments, right? But we didn't get their input prior to coming together to have a study session. And I was just wondering if that component could be built in or is that something that is not even doable or should we should be done. But I kind of believe that I would like to hear from our residents um, something very similar to what Mayor Pro Tem was uh, talking about. And that way, when we come to the study session, we have their thoughts as well as our thoughts that we can then talk about. Yes, Thank please, you. please come forward. <clears throat> Mayor and Council, um, the question deals with the collection data from the public. Uh, some cities have done the surveys, like you talked about before on show, before they do it every year and they update it, excuse me. Um, in this case, we have not done it yet. Um, the, the two study sessions the council has are public meetings. So there is public input into the process. So what we pull together from, the, from your written SWOT analysis and the individual interviews, we, we prepare that to go on to walls. Here's, here's your strength comments, weakness, et cetera, et cetera. So everybody can see that can be added, deleted, modified. So there are two public meetings where the public can participate and offer ideas, and the council will decide. What synthesizes the process is that I usually give each council member at the end of the first session five red dots, and those are to establish your priorities. So you will have public input in the process. It's a public meeting. And the dynamics of the meeting are very informal. It's not like sitting in a room like this. It's more informal. It's more collaborative. So citizens are invited to participate through the city council um, as you choose to, let, to allow them to talk. So it is an open process. I'm, and and I, I totally thought that's exactly the way it would be. It's just that I kind of would, I just, in my mind, I would like to know what their thoughts are combined with our thoughts mm -hmm. so that when we can come together, we already have an idea instead of them having to listen to or see all the posters of what we're thinking and then comment. So if we kind of had all of that together, but I, I'm, I understand what you're saying and we can't have both worlds because we haven't done this yet, but I appreciate it. Well, if, okay. what, what that, what you just showed would, could be one of your major goals and objectives to get that done so that when you update the plan, next year, you'll have more information as to what the community is thinking about with all those statistics. So that can dovetail together very well in the future. Yes, yes. I, I actually disagree. So I think the major point of doing the survey is, you know, there's economic reasons for it, but it's part, it's all one and the same. I, as I, we should have the results in time for this planning session okay. and that would all be part of it. I mean, to me, it's just, 
this is such a big opportunity for us. There are so many needs, which leads me to my next question, which is I noticed on the other ones that there were um, the strategic plan and then there was the work plan. So, and this one didn't, this one didn't have it. Um, the, this was really a great cost-effective aspect of it, but the other two had the strategic plan and strategic work plan. We, we develop an implementation plan. Yes, they yeah. Yeah, okay. maybe, maybe a different term the other consultant suggested. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just we, we take your, your, your dots and work with staff to, make, to create the goals. Staff creates the definitive objectives, which the council has to review and approve with who's doing it, the timelines, and the funding. Right. And, and then that comes back to you to public meeting. And, but the last part of that chart will be a status. What is being done? and what is the schedule. And we always recommend that these council receive a quarterly update on the processing of, the, of your goals and objectives. So we call it an implementation plan versus a work plan. Perfect, okay, and that's where I was just like, oh no, could we add that in? Because this was you know, such an opportunity. So thank you for clarifying well, that. I, I was a student of Peter Drucker, if you know who he is. <laughs> management by objectives drilled, drilled into us. So that's a process we basically follow. Wonderful, thank you so much. Yep, please stand by in case there's any other questions. Sure. Councilmember Gillenhammer. Uh, Bill, correct? Yes. Thank you for being here and answering the questions. Um, just two questions. Who will the specific consultant be for this and what level of experience does he or she have in this type of work? Well, I will be the principal in charge and the executive vice president, Christine Kelly, is the backup. That's also my wife. <laughs> uh, but I'm the principal in charge. I've probably done over a dozen of these plans for cities, Alhambra, Hawaiian Gardens, uh, Orange County, LAFCO, many, many, many of these we've done. Okay. And we, we track them and, and sometimes provide it back every year to, con to conduct the annual updates. So we have a long track record doing these kinds of plans. Uh, and as you interact with council members, um, you know, you may run across opinions that might be directly opposite mm -hmm. of another opinion. Um, from a process perspective, how do you synthesize two priorities that might be identically opposite? Well, as a part of the SWAT, we sometimes get differing opinions. It's, it's, not, it's not changed. We, we write down what you put down. That's why we have the written SWAT, and then I do the verbal with each council member to make sure I understand the comment and what it was. And you will see when it goes on the wall some differences. One, one says this is an opportunity, and one says the same thing as a strength. The five dots will help establish their priorities. You can't do 10 goals and 100 projects. So the goal is to synthesize the goals and objectives that you collectively somewhat agree to. And that's why you get five dots or six dots. That forces what I call decision-making as a group. You can't put all six dots in one item. It's to spread it out and get a common sense, and you don't know where you're going to go until you can walk through it. But the first meeting is kind of like opening the floodgates, and you keep narrowing down the issues as you talk about what they are. But there is polarity sometimes. Sometimes your pet project may not get a dot, but that's the part of the group decision-making with dots. Okay, it's, it's an interesting process to watch <laughs> as you get the dots out and who goes first and who goes last. <laughs> All right, we have a motion uh, from Mayor Pro Tem Paris and a second from Councilmember Gillenhammer. Any other discussions, questions? Okay, if not, please vote. It's approved unanimously. <clears throat> 
Okay, 8.1 reports from city manager, fiscal year 2023-24 general fund first quarter budget report. Good evening, mayor, members of city council. Last year, uh, there, we were given some direction and, <clears throat> excuse me, and they decided just to uh, start doing a quarterly uh, budget report uh, rather than just in May or uh, as we start the budget process again, dump the uh, our results on you then. We want to be able to do it quarterly so you can actually see throughout the year how, how the, uh, the budget is uh, progressing. So uh, we have our budget team here and uh, I'll turn it over to uh, uh, Katrin Manauer. Uh, our finance director is currently home, uh, not feeling well. So take it away. Hi, I'm Michelle uh, Cresson, the budget manager. I'll be, go, I'll be going through our report today. No worries. All right, good evening, Mayor and members of the City Council. Tonight I'll be presenting the first quarter budget report for the fiscal year 24 general fund budget. So we'll jump right into general fund revenues. First quarter revenue totaled approximately $12.6 million. The majority of the quarter's um, revenue is sales tax at 43% which equates to about $5.4 million. This is not surprising, given that is one of our highest sources of revenue alongside property tax. You'll notice property tax only makes up 4% of this quarter's revenue, which amounts to a little under 500,000. This is primarily attributed to timing since the bulk of property tax revenue is received from December through June. Licenses and permits accounts for 15% of the revenue, amounting to 1.85 million, and consists of mostly business licenses, building permits, and plan check revenue. I'll also note that TOT remains a constant revenue source and contributed 12% of this quarter's revenue at about $1.6 million. This next slide compares the fiscal year 24 adopted budget to the first quarter's revenue received. Revenue received through the first quarter makes up 9% of the fiscal year 24 adopted budget, which is in line with expectations overall for this quarter. You can see that TOT is slightly higher than anticipated at 30%, which is a good indicator that we will meet our budget target. You'll also notice revenues from other agencies is higher than anticipated. This is mostly due to one-time grants and state reimbursements received this quarter. Now let's take a look at how this quarter compares to last year. Total revenues rose by approximately 980,000, which is about 8% compared to the same quarter of the prior fiscal year. The year-over-year -year increase is mostly associated with the notable growth from TOT and sales tax. Overall growth was slightly offset by net decreases in fees for service and licenses and permits, which are dependent on community need and use. In most other categories, amount differences are minimal and will continue to be monitored throughout the fiscal year for noticeable fluctuations. Moving on to general fund expenditures, a majority of this quarter's expenditure is salaries and benefits, which is typical of a full-service city. As you can see, when combining both safety and non-safety salary and benefits, this totals to about 87% of the general fund expenditure, or $23.4 million for the first quarter. The second largest part of the general fund expenditure for the, the first quarter is contractual services at 11%, or about $3 million, which include large contracts such as citywide landscaping, tree services, animal control, and custodial services. Now let's take a look at the adopted budget versus first quarter expenditure. 
Overall, we are on track with the first quarter expenditure amounting to just under $27 million or 23%. There are no significant items to report on the expenditure side as we are on track with spending. We will continue to monitor all categories and ensure we are spending appropriately to meet our budget targets. Comparing the first quarter's expenditure to the prior year, total expenditure rose by approximately $1.2 million, which is about 5%. The year-over-year -year increase is mostly associated with negotiated salary increases and cost of living and renewal adjustments to city contracts. In other categories, differences are mostly associated with the timing of purchases and amounts are nominal, but will continue to be monitored. Looking ahead to our upcoming budget year, staff have already started our budget kickoff in October. In January, there are plans to have the council strategic planning session. And in February, the city manager's office, along with the budget team, will meet with each city department to discuss the upcoming budget year. In March, we'll have the first budget study session for fiscal year 25, focusing on the general fund. This will be followed by a budget study session in April, focusing on the capital improvement program. In May, the preliminary budget will be brought forward to council. And finally, in June, we'll bring forward the budget adoption for council consideration. This concludes my presentation. I'm available as well as my colleagues, Katrin Bantower, Assistant Finance Director, and Haley Zercher, Financial Analyst, for questions for council at this time. I have a question. Uh, I think you said 11% sales tax increase so far? Yes, so far, let me double check. Go back. Yeah, sales tax, we're at 11% of what we've budgeted. So that's fantastic. Uh, anything noteworthy there to a, anything noteworthy to attribute that to, or do you see a, a trend or any comments at all? Um, not necessarily. The fact that TOT is up to could be just a factor that things are going well economically locally, but we'd probably have to look further into what categories are higher. Um, I could bring that to the next um, the next budget report. I didn't. I just kind of stayed broad. Yeah, please don't spend any okay. you know, amount of time. I don't want to like to assign staff extra <laughs> work, but um, uh, but uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, mm -hmm. Mayor Pro Tem. I just want to clarify, are you saying we're ahead of budget or we're behind on budgets? I don't think it's clear. No, it, well, for first quarter, it's a little hard to gauge just because it's, so, um, it's so preliminary. For, like, property tax isn't in. So it does seem like if I say 9%, that seems low, but it's pretty on track compared to where we were last year. Um, and sales tax and TOT are looking really good. Okay. So I, I think we'll get a better picture as we move forward, but as the first quarter, I'm, for the most part, we're doing well. We're not doing bad. Yeah, I'm sure. I'd also comment, you know, first quarter includes we're in the holiday season, so spending typically goes up. So we may see may see this increase right now, and then it may may level off. I don't want I don't want I don't want anybody to get any uh, false uh, you know impressions that boom we're we're going through the roof on the on sales tax. Okay. No, but for clarification, it's 11 percent over the same period last year. Is that what 17. Or 17% 17 compared 17 to last year. But I would be, you're saying these numbers are preliminary. So yeah. I want, so. It's only the first how quarter. How we say it is important. Correct. Yes. Preliminarily, it looks like we're 17% above budget. Yes? Mm -hmm. 
Above last year. Above last year. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't want to tell people, I want to be clear about what I'm saying. The other part of it is when we look at the sales tax, 43% uh, of, the, of the revenue stream, right? What is the biggest percentage of that? Um, I, I'd have to look into it. Like, are you talking about what category it's within? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, typically, it's uh, fuel is our largest sales tax contributor. All right. um, after that, I'd have to like look into the other categories, but typically it's fuel. And if I remember correctly, when we talked about that before, that was something upward in the neighborhood of 40% of our sales tax revenue. Mm -hmm. So subject to fluctuation, Correct. subject to massive changes, mm -hmm. and under the auspices of our agreement with SC Fuels, that we're tied to, so to a heavy degree. Correct. Thank you. Yep. Uh, you're good? Yeah, I was just going to make that comment. The, <laughs> the price of gas drives the fluctuation of that number a lot. Yeah, that's correct. Good point. All right, any other questions? <coughs> See, now we have a motion to receive and file by Mayor Pro Tem Barrios, second by Councilmember Gutierrez, please vote. Okay, thank you. Thank you, staff, very much. Shop, Shop Orange. Mr. Mayor, I just want to say I'm so grateful for this to the city manager. It's just such good information to have and to you know, know where we're going and kind of where we're, how we're getting along. I'm very grateful to staff for doing all this. City Manager, any other reports? No, sir. Nothing on our... Um, I was going to give an update on uh, the STRs, but uh, we need to agendize it because it was pro it's probably going to go into a deeper conversation, and uh, the city attorney advised uh, me not to go forward with it, so we will uh, bring it back for the next council meeting. All right, very well. But I think it's good news. Yes, it is. I, he's going to get yell at me if I talk too much about it. I'm a brief comment. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. Good. Okay. Legal affairs. Introduction and first reading of ordinance number 14-23, adding chapter 2.3 to title 2 of the Orange Municipal Code related to lobbyist registration and reporting. Would anyone like a, a staff report on this? Do not see one. We have a couple of uh, questions, however, starting with uh, Councilmember Tavaleros. Thank you. Not a question uh, as much as, uh, as many recall, we brought this up a couple of meetings ago. I don't remember the exact date. Um, and um, the mayor uh, appointed an ad hoc committee, which I served on with um, Councilman uh, Dimitriou and Mayor Pro Tem Barrios. Uh, to make some changes, uh, which I, of course, was um, very happy about. Um, I do want to say, just in remembrance of, of what brought this about, um, obviously things have been happening in some neighboring cities uh, with FBI investigations and arrests, mostly including um, people who consider themselves lobbyists. Uh, I, do, I do not want this to be a bashing of lobbyists. I think lobbying is an important component to getting projects done. Uh, therefore, no one should be nervous or upset about shining a light into government interface. Um, but I do believe it is important to protect uh, this council, future councils, and of course, city staff. Um, I have many instances since I've been on council, maybe three years, of um, 
being caught in the middle of different lobbyists trying to, you know, peddle for their for their business, which is fine for them to do, except when they're including a council person in the middle of it. Um, and I think it can get really confusing. That was the um, impetus of, of me bringing this forward. Um, I think it's important for all council members and commissioners and everybody to be aware of who is representing who when these important projects come before council or any kind of commission. Uh, I think that's a simple ask, and I think if you read into this proposed ordinance, it addresses some of the things that um, that would be a safeguard uh, moving forward. And I think it's time for Orange with, especially some neighboring cities um, going through it, that we protect ourselves. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for bringing this forward. Councilmember Gutierrez. Thank you, Mayor. Oh, oh sorry. Go ahead. Finish. No, no. I was going to move it back. Um, do you want? There you can second it. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Mayor. And thank you so much, Councilmember Tavalaris and Mayor Pro Tem and Councilmember Dimitru for working on this ad hoc committee to clean up the language on this. And I think you did a very good job, especially removing that section of the quarterly reports. So I think it makes it a lot clearer, a lot more uh, readable. Um, I, I just wanted to um, bring the attention of the public comment that we received. Um, and I am in agreement with especially the number three, where she, um, it's suggested that we add subsection 2E to the section 2.13.030, where we add um, the language of lobbyists and lobbying firms are subject to the provisions of the Orem Municipal Code, um, 2.15, gifts to public officials. And as I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention to see if you all were in agreement with that so that we could um, add that. And would that be a difficult thing to add, um, city attorney? Uh, yeah, good good question. So I, I, I spoke with the uh, with Ms. Grindle, Grindle, who made the public comment, and she and I had a lengthy conversation on my way home from work, actually, last night about that exact subject. And she said, and we were in agreement that if I clarified on the record, that the two ordinance sections do not conflict, they don't overlap, the definitions are different, one will not supersede or any way interfere with the other. Um, if I made that representation on the record that she was good with, uh, she was good with the ordinance as drafted. Ah, okay, very good. If that's any help to your... All right, then I'm fine with that. What about in, sub in the section 2.13 where she just asked, uh, she gives a suggestion to remove the word gifts? Is that difficult, or is that? Again, that's tied into the same argument that, same the, thing. that the definitions okay. somehow overlap. All right, very good. Then I am fine with that. Very well. Mayor Pro Tem Barrios. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I had the opportunity um, yesterday to sit down <laughs> with Shirley and talk at great length about all of this. And um, I did want to share that one of the things that she and I talked about was her first request about um, putting lobbyists, um, having that extend to people who are employees lobbying on behalf of their companies. Um, I understand the request. Future councils may want to look at that. I, um, you know, had said we had talked about this, that it was just not something we were interested in 
that's a big ask. And it, it is a dragnet that would bring in, for example, Jenna Jensen, who was here this evening um, from Chalk. And that is not something I'm prepared to do at this time, um, nor do I think in Orange that there's that particular problem. Um, so I, you know, this is something that she put the request out there. I think it's for, this is, we're already making a big step. Thank you, Kathy, because of, because of you, we're doing that. And that is something for future councils to decide. So I just wanted to address both aspects of her um, request to us in her public comment. And with that, and with your clarification, Mr. City Attorney, I feel really good about where we've gotten to here. Thank you very much. All right, um, seeing no other questions, we have a motion from, uh, Councilmember Tavaleras and a second from Mayor Pro Tem Barrios uh, to move forward. We need to have the um, the title read, please. <clears throat> Introduce and conduct a first reading of Ordinance Number One Four Two Three, an ordinance of the City Council of the City of Orange, adding Chapter Two Point One Three to to Title Two of the Orange Municipal Code related to lobbyist registration and reporting. Please vote. That is approved unanimously. Congratulations, Kathy. Okay, um, public hearings, 10.1. Public hearing to consider conduit tax-exempt bond financing for the Orion Senior Affordable Housing Project, Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act, <coughs> TEFRA, hearing and finding of CEQA exemption. <coughs> Would anyone like to hear a staff report? I think it's uh, when it's with the way this is going to happen through we being the conduit, I think it's should be best to have a staff report, if nothing more, for the public record. Very well. Brief. <laughs> um, good evening, uh, City Council. Um, pursuant to the Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act, or TEFRA, when public bonds are issued by uh, when are issued, a public agency must provide the public an opportunity to comment on the use of tax exempt bond proceeds. TEFRA requires this purely administrative step to be completed prior to the issuance of bonds. Um, in this case, uh, the California Municipal Finance Authority, or CMFA, um, and not the city, would be the bond issuer for the benefit of the Orion. Uh, project, which is a 166-unit senior affordable housing project located at 1800 East Levita Avenue, um, which was uh, entitled by the Planning Commission on March 7th, 2022. The City of Orange may authorize the issuance of bonds by CMFA in the amount not to exceed $45 million to finance the Orion um, senior, senior Affordable Housing Project by approving resolution number 11504. Uh, the city will receive approximately 15,000 from the issuance of the bonds for being the public agency that approves the issuance of the bonds by CMFA. No costs, obligations, or further resources are required from the city. The proceeds of the bonds may be used to finance or refinance the acquisition, construction, development, and equipping of the project. Um, so with that, staff recommends that the City Council approve resolution number 11504 for the issuance of tax-exempt bonds by CMFA to finance the Orion Senior Affordable Housing Project. 
Thank you. That concludes that presentation. Very well. Before we open the public hearing, are there any questions of staff? I, Councilmember Gutierrez. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so this project is in my district, and the Rio is where my kids took swimming lessons. Probably a lot of other children did as well. And so um, as I was reading the report extensively, um, I was very happy to see that this was targeting that extremely low, we're going to get 16 units, very low, 43 units, um, low, 43 units, uh, or even 63. Um, and then when I read on and saw that we would be getting a, a fee of 15000 I read that as well. And I was curious as to that 15000 is that um, restricted monies, or does it go to our general fund? Where, where would that money go, is my question. And how could we use it? So, um, so as part of the bond issuance fee, we would receive approximately 15000 the city would, and that would just come in the form of a check. So it would just be general fund monies. Yeah. Very good. And so, again, as you said, um, on, on the city's responsibility, there is <clears throat> truly no responsibility other than we are being asked to um, be the conduit but we are not going to be financially liable for anything when it comes to this project, correct? Yes, because that's... Because they want to be able to go ask um, the California Municipal Finance Authority to issue this tax-exempt bond, correct? Yes, that's correct. So tonight we're just uh, fulfilling the administrative step of TEFRA to authorize CMFA to issue those bonds. Very good. And again... Um, we have very few projects that actually target that low, extremely low uh, um, housing and for senior citizens. And it's already would be adjacent to a current um, retirement, a senior home, which is right in the corner of Tustin and Levita as well, and another one, Kitty Corner. So that whole property lends itself really well. I will say the only thing that I was sad to hear is a removal of the trees, of quite a few trees. But other than that, I found this to be, I made me happy that we are going to be targeting um, those that are, are obviously in such need of housing. So thank you. Great. Councilmember Dimitri. Thank you. I just wanted to have it abundantly clear because uh, when members of the public see that uh, there's $45 million being issued in bonds, they're going to immediately say you're putting our kids into debt. Um, this isn't the city financing these bonds. It comes from the the state that is correct it's it the bond issuer is a california municipal finance authority right. it is and not the city we're doing this purely as an administrative step for the state correct correct all right because so i just i know it's going to come up at the next uh the next four or six years every other year that somehow that this group issued 45 million dollars in sudden debt and it's, it needs to be clear that that is not the case, that this is completely, this is just, we're doing the administrative hearing for the, the, the tax issuer, or the uh, bond issuer. All right, thank you. Good point. Okay, at this time, I'm going to open the public hearing. Is there anyone that uh, has turned in a speaker card? Okay, seeing none, I'm going to close the public hearing and bring it back to the council for a motion or further discussion. We have a motion from Council Member Ana Gutierrez 
Is there a second? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Councilmember Dimitru. Any further discussion? Seeing none, please vote. That is approved exactly. unanimously. Exactly. Lastly, oh, that was the last thing. Okay. We're done. All right. The next regular city council meeting will be held on Tuesday, December 12, 2023, at 6 p.m. in the council chamber. Closed session begin at 5 p.m. if necessary. We are adjourned.